0: Welcome to Transformational Healing with your host, Dr. Bonnie Morrow. There are a variety of techniques for hands on healing that can help you move closer to your vision of good health. In our program, we discuss both the business and science of dealing with different aspects of the healthy community with specialists in various energy practices. Now, here is Dr. Bonnie Morrow.
1: Hi, welcome to Transformational Healing. We are glad you're with us today. We would like to shout to a hello to Thailand and Cambodia and Indonesia and Albania. We know that you're out there listening, and we appreciate your listening. So, um, hello world. We're here today. Today, our guest is very special. It's Mimi Ansel and she's a retired lawyer and college teacher with a graduate, I'm sorry, graduate work in public health injury epidemiology. Mimi happens to be my cousin. She's originally from Wyoming. She spent several decades in Montana, and she now lives in St. Pete, Florida, where she no longer has to shovel snow. So welcome, Mimi well thank you bonnie
2: it's uh good to be on uh, on your marvelous program i appreciate i appreciate the invitation
1: you're welcome so uh Mamie has a passion for elephants and so she can can you tell us a little bit about that passion
2: well i can um it's uh it's it's come to me fairly uh uh, in bits and pieces over years, I was able to travel, uh, quite a bit. And, um, the first time I ever rode an elephant, I was in, um, Sri Lanka and, uh, you know, and then I had seen them in circuses and zoos and things like that. But, uh, what really did it was, um, I was able to do, uh, some time volunteering at Elephant Nature Park near Chiang Mai, Thailand. And it's a true sanctuary. There are a lot of, you know, phony wannabes. And what I learned is that one should never, ever, ever ride an elephant or go to any kind of show where they are doing tricks or painting or any of that because I've learned from my uh, personal hero, whose name is Lek Chilart, who is uh, uh, of Thai origin, grew up in the hills there, um the horrors to which they are um, uh you know the horrors they're fix- they, they they have to endure in order to be writable or trickable or any of that and um, you know i've learned about their remarkable social um, they're family groupings. They're more social than we are and probably more charitable as well. And um, for anything to happen like the writing and the tricks and all of that nonsense, um, they take the little ones away and they starve them for a number of days. They don't let them sleep. And then they're tortured and then they're quite compliant. And if you picture doing all of that for a slave child, you've got the picture. And so I learned from Leck and her husband, Derek, who, um, have started this uh, remarkable sanctuary, Um, you know, I thought I understood compassion until I went there, and they have moved it from my head into my bones, so it's not just elephants, it's all kinds of critters, but the elephants in particular were the the cornerstone of my new learning, so does that answer your question, Bonnie?
1: It sure does, Yes. And so you you have ridden one in uh, but they're not conducive to riding is that what I'm hearing Well I I have ridden them
2: because I was ignorant you know and you know when you when they give you one to ride or you pay them so you can do that um they all look okay mostly i mean you know in really extreme situations you can tell that they're thin or ill or you know old or you know have dislocated hip or something like that but typically typically not it's the uh, it's the behind the scenes stuff that uh, that typical travelers and tourists don't know about and you know if there's one thing that happens as a result of this show today is you know uh ringling is finally getting enough sense to take elephants out of its shows and i wish it would do it like immediately it's got a timeline for it a couple of years uh because people are really waking up i mean they are not they're not uh you know, they're not clever machines. They are, they are, you know, one of the, the gentle giants with deep family ties. And I rode them because I was ignorant. And when I learned, I almost feel like Arthur Schindler, you know, who looked back and thought, oh, wow, think of the damage I have done and all the good I could have done and didn't because I didn't know better. You know, and that's that's how my take on on uh, elephant well-being and really, really that of of all kinds of of critters, people have choices and animals don't most of the time. So, that's where that came from.
1: That is really interesting, really, really interesting. So, the, you wrote it in Sri Lanka, but the sanctuary yeah. is in Thailand.
2: Yeah, and that's about a decade apart. Uh, I happened to be uh, in Sri Lanka, and I was up at Candy because I heard they had an elephant sanctuary. And um, I was able to see, uh, you know, landmine injuries, and et cetera, and watch, uh, watch the groups there. But, um, you know, ancillary to that, there was possible writing. Now, the good news was it was just kind of around in a circle, and they didn't use one of those huge things that looks like, uh, you know, a giant, dining room set or whatever so you're really I was really right on the elephant but I was able to watch them interact with the babies and how protective the nannies are of the babies and and really get a sense of the family structure a little bit but I had no idea until I ended up at Elephant Nature Park um, out of Chiang Mai. It's ElephantNaturePark.org. Don't go to the other sites because they will direct you to the ones where no no one is being harmed for your amusement. Um, and did volunteer work and was able to see elephants that had been really starved and you know they they'd taken a 20 20 hour trip in a truck. Uh, with a crane, it had to be you know unloaded so they could eat now and then, and and could barely stand. And we would uh, you know make uh, banana balls for them to re nourish them, like every two hours, even all night long, and uh, that sort of thing. And, and see all kinds of they 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 suffer PTSD the same way people do. They they suffer the loss of their young the way people do, if not you know if not equally maybe more. Um, all of that, and I was able to you know be there in the middle of it and watching them then over time uh the ones who were too weak to stand are now free in this beautiful river valley in family groupings and and uh um, you know I followed them online on Facebook as well and and made a uh really a world of friends who were involved in that in that effort as well so that's that's my story that's how I got there. It was stupid on a stick when I arrived, and um, I learned more, you know. I learned a lot more. It, it got that compassion chip out of the head and into the bones. So
1: so what do you mean by a compassionate traveler?
2: Okay. A compassionate traveler to me is somebody who really travels. I, I distinguish it from a mere tourist. I think a traveler is someone who engages with the place and the people and the animals and, you know, wherever they are compared with, you know, kind of mere tourism. Um a traveler, even if they have only a day or two in a place, will make some kind of connection and hopefully make make it a better place than it was when they got there compared to oh i 've been spent time in Corfu coming and mm-hmm. going from Albania you know and you see the cruise ships pull up and if this is Tuesday, it must be Corfu. Those people don 't have the the opportunity to provide enrichment to the community they're visiting and they don't have the opportunity to receive the enrichment either. And, uh, so, you know, cruises can be okay, but if there's some way, and I have some little strategies that, uh, I think, you know, can be, can be kind of a good thing, even if you don't have very much time in a place, but see yourself as a traveler who is engaging with the place and whatever's going on in it historically, or even, you know, whatever's happening this afternoon. Uh, But I make that distinction. Um, And I I think that's, that's one that has helped me be a different person when I go to these different countries.
1: That's, that's interesting. I like that. So, and in your travels, you have a family of choice in Indonesia and Albania. Can you talk about that a little bit? I
2: can. Um, I, um, accidentally wandered into Albania. I had uh, been traveling a little bit with my hero, Promodia Ananta Tor, T-O-E-R, who was the uh, um, Nobel-nominated literature uh, nominee from Indonesia, happened to be in Europe and uh, left that group and um, decided to go try to go to greece because i'd never been to greece hurt my back in a train station and ended up um in corfu greece and you could see albania across the water there and i thought wow i didn't even know we could go there and so i was able to go there on a day tour um which visits uh something that's kind of a mini Pompeii it's called Butrint and it's under the uh UN World Heritage site kind of thing and what was so interesting to me was the antiquities were fascinating but Albania blew me away i mean it it is uh you know it's one of the poorer european countries and it it always ends up being you know kind of the butt of jokes in movies and that kind of thing but they have um, Bunkers, concrete bunkers, about every 300 yards throughout the country because until a few years before I got there, you know, they had been... Under the rule of a despot who was also nuts and used all of the public resources to build bunkers when there was no enemy. And so Albania itself became fascinating to me and I kept asking questions of the guide, not so much about the, you know, the, it was amazing, you know, it was Hellenic and, uh, Hellenic antiquities and layer upon layer of history coming out of the ground there, but the the Albanian experience was what fascinated me, and I kept asking questions, and they said, well, you'll have to come back. So I did, and then I was able to meet uh, teachers and journalists and people whose lives were basically the basis of Enver Hoxha's experimentation in social structures, um, you know, where we live in such a bubble of privilege, it's hard to even contemplate what what people in some other countries have gone through. So I got very lucky, and, you know, I'm kind of short, kind of old, and fairly harmless, so people talk to me and kind of take me in. And that has been just an absolute boon. I've met real people and understood real lives in ways that I wouldn't have were it otherwise. So, um, and some of those people, my lovely friend Aphrodita Prempti and her husband Lermont. Uh, she is my she is my fourth sister. You know, um, by choice, family of choice. Um, and, um, you know, I just see them as extensions of, of people who are important to me. Uh, so that's how Albania happened. Um, Indonesia was a little bit similar. Um, I had decided to go there as an antidote to turning 50 and um, was doing a bit of traveling and went to a place where um, – there were it was a a cultural there were some cultural practices going on, um, and there were a whole bunch of school kids there, each with a clipboard and they were part of an after school English program from you know like fifty miles away and their job was to find a native English speaker and have us grade them on their speaking and I found that just so amazing and and uh, uh had connected with the the author who uh, was also my friend there, but um, one of those students, uh, they they finally said, "Well, we're going to take you to our teacher because you know a lot of people didn't want to be bothered with the kids," and I found them just charming and fascinating. And I was trying to learn a little Indonesian anyway. And the short version of that is, is that the the student who, uh, by whom they set me on a bus to go to the beach. Um, is now a young professor with a family of his own, having graduated cum laude from an institution that's like our MIT. But it made headlines because it was son of poor farmer um, graduates from um, that particular school in Indonesia, uh, in Indonesia, basically with the help of fairy godmother from the U.S. Because, <laughs> you know, his parents had had, Said, You know, we know you're smart, but we have chickens, we have oranges, we have rice, but we have no money. And that kid had actually sold his sheep to get the money for the application for that school which is, it's a, it's a big time technology school there. And he had only had enough money to go to technical high school, not the college prep high school. And he rode his motorbike five hours to take that test. And later I happened to be visiting his town when he got his acceptance letter. That was a big deal. And I thought, Hey, wonder, you know, I wonder what it costs to, you know, help this guy. And in in U S dollars, it was very, very little. And, um, so the short version is we have six of them. They're all young adults now, all practicing in various professions, and um, we call it Operation Starfish because I couldn't help all of them, but we helped that, we helped those six, you know, <laughs> that little story about the little girl on the beach. So, you know, that's probably a bit extreme, but actually connecting with the real people gave me that that. Opportunity where if I had just thought, oh, I'm not getting on a bus with a bunch of school kids going someplace where I don't know where it is, you know, and their teacher is also a dear friend. He's family of choice as well. So I don't have actual human children, but I have I have my starfish, and one of them just had a new baby last week. So he's a flight attendant for Cathay Pacific. So. You know, that's, you can get involved. Anything from feeding a stray dog to putting a really deserving kid through college to me is, you know, compassionate travel.
1: You um, bet. Let's take a quick yeah. break. Okay.
0: A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Dr. Bonnie Morrow's passion is to make healing available in every home around the world. You can find out more about healing touch classes available wherever you are. Dr. Bonnie is here to share her knowledge and expertise in energy medicine as both a teacher and facilitator. To use Healing Touch for those you love, contact Healing Touch Texas for a class schedule. You can contact Dr. Bonnie via email at HealingTouchTX at AOL.com or visit the website at transformational-healing.org. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. Breastfeeding. As a new
2: parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it
0: outdated. Tune in to Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo. To bust through the myths about feeding your baby, Marie and her guests
2: will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: You are listening to Transformational Healing. To reach Dr. Bonnie Morrow or her guest today, please call in to one 472 5792 That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to HealingTouchTX at AOL.com. Now, back to Transformational Healing.
1: Welcome back. This is Dr. Bonnie. And today we're talking to Mimi Ansel, And she is talking about her world travels, which is most interesting. And then you say to me, well, how does traveling and taking care of elephants, fall into the wellness category. And for me, you can hear the passion in her voice as she speaks. The passion is what keeps her alive and what keeps the wellness going. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Mimi?
2: I really do. Um... Back, you know, when Mozart was a child, I taught a class uh, at a college in Minnesota called Human Health Possibilities, and spiritual well-being is certainly part of it. And to me, um, what I've learned is that compassion, you know, passion is great, but compassion is better. Having true compassion is really a cornerstone of true personal well-being. I mean, we're all going to die from these bodies that we are carrying around, but Having compassion for people and critters, um, I think generates a level of well-being that that you know really it's a it's a mindful growth. It's a, it's like building a muscle. It's something you can start small with. But I, I think travel and compassionate travel does remarkable things for people. We're just going on the trip and seeing the stuff and bringing some tchotchkes home doesn't have that power to transform and i know you know transformational is in is one of the words that's in your it's in it's in your description of of what you're talking about so does that does that help close yes. that gap
1: yes it does now let's say i'm planning a trip and what would be my first step toward an educated heart
2: well i think um You know, we we tend to get online and look at stuff and uh, get The Lonely Planet or, you know, whichever Fodor's or one of the the travel books, but I think the best book to reach for, and you can get it on audio often or, um, you know, in in true paper form or Kindle form, whatever, I think the most important thing you can do for yourself before you go someplace that's you know, truly foreign, like for most of us, Indonesia, Cambodia, Myanmar, those places is to find the 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 best literature that has come out of that place and for example, before I went to Indonesia the first time, trying to outrun being fifty, and I didn't, but it's all right um, was uh, I looked up history, literature. In Indonesia, and I came up with this remarkable human being, who then became my friend, Pramodia Ananta Tour, who wrote uh, a series called the Buru Quartet. He was in prison and on this horrible island, island like think, uh, you know, Devil's Island, where people are not supposed to live for for holding up the idea of democracy and those kinds of ideas. Um, and he wrote that after he got out he had done research for it before that on really the the arc of moving from a dutch colony to independence and via historical fiction i really understood it it's a four volume set and i every step i took there i saw through his eyes and that was before i met him and that was a way different way different deal and if i had just gone to some museums or you know eaten and drunk a whole lot of good food on Bali and that kind of thing. Um, Another one for Indonesia is Rainbow Troops by uh, Andrea Hirata. That's a much more recent uh, book. Um, For example, Cambodia. I never could get my head around the killing fields. I I couldn't go there. It was too painful back when it was happening in the 70s. And I read a book just recently, In the Shadow of the Banyan, by Vadi Rotner, who has become an American citizen Um, it's from a child's point of view. And when a third of the population has been, you know, killed and displaced by the lunacy of, you know, uh, an ideologue like Pol Pot, you know, it it comes down, it translates into the world of this child uh, who then did escape by barely. But it pulls you in whether you want to be there or not. And now when I go, I'll be, you know, planting things and, and build helping build an elephant sanctuary, but I'll really understand the the ground I'm literally walking on what happened to the people there even within my lifetime. So there's another one. Uh, Myanmar is now kind of becoming a tourist spot. Uh, Everything is broken uh, by Emma Larkin is about the 2008 cyclone uh, Nargis that, you know, it, it really really smashed the country into little bits but what smashed it even worse was the military junta that would not let aid get through to the people who needed it and we're talking at least 150,000 and possibly double that because you can't trust the figures um and and I'll be probably going there in a couple of months um, you know um that's that's amazing and then anything by on on su suki uh, the Nobel Prize winner, peace prize winner, who is now elected president, but the military won't let her have her position. Um, it's it's pretty nuts. But it gets you, it gets you there. It, it, you're feeling life as real people felt it. And you take those numbers of dead and disappeared and extrapolate it out to how did it affect the people who were still there. And you, you end up with a compassion that you didn't have before. You see things a little differently. So, you know, that's um, uh, that's that's how I think that works. So, you know, being educated not just on where the better hotels are and where you can get a you know certain meal and that sort of thing, but to get the feeling of what those people lived through that we probably couldn't even imagine is, I think that's the key to that compassion that lets you be a compassionate traveler.
1: Uh tell yeah, just uh I am cur- curious is that a good word about the killing fields can you give me a quick what what was that about
2: well pol pot there was you know all of the upheaval in vietnam and all of that uh pol pot was a, an absolute lunatic despot that um, came in on some kind of wave of of sentiment um and basically armed teenage boys with with uh, ide- ideology and uh you know guns guns and sticks and they terrorized and we you know, they took all the all the intelligentsia, doctors, lawyers, teachers, anybody with a even if you wore glasses, you you would might end up getting shot just for that or took them off to these horrible camps, again, where people were literally starving to death, and if they complained about it, they would shoot them or club them, you know, right there. I mean, most there's a book called uh, First They Killed My Father, and that lasted from 75 to 79. Um, You know, and I was in college having a rather good time at that point. I had, you know, no clue and not necessarily, I didn't really want one either at that point. Um, But if you can imagine a country like that, if if like a third of the population of the U S were, you know, dragged away and murdered and it's the people who can solve problems, you know, engineer, just take everybody who wears glasses, start there. You know, that was one of the pieces that, uh, you know, uh, you have ignorant peasants with guns, uh, re-educating everybody. And, uh, and then the, the level of corruption that goes with it. So there was a film called The Killing Fields that I could never get myself to watch, and I, I still may not. But getting it from this this girl who now lives as a grown woman in, uh, in D.C., and she actually came to the U.S., not a word of English, talk about refugees, became valedictorian, valedictorian of her high school in St. Paul, Minnesota, and then went on to um you know graduate summa cum laude from one of the Ivy league schools um that's that's amazing stuff so um that's that the killing fields were where basically everybody you knew disappeared or 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 was exterminated by by uh you know these ideologues that uh uh you know beyond belief Beyond belief you just can't get that one out of, out of your out of your body when you read it you really understand it and she got out and is is telling the tale uh, How did she manage remarkable. to get out well I guess uh you know there was there there were uh u n there were u n rescue forces that finally got in there, and the Pol Pot regime was finally finally toppled um, and they were they were trudging. You know, it was a starve-to-death march toward the Thai border, trying to get over the Thai border where they would be safer, not from starvation necessarily, but from, you know, uh, gratuitous killings for no apparent reason. Um, and UN helicopters happened to land at that point um, and and got them to safety. And then, you know, they were able to immigrate and become, you know, major contributors to the places they went. But uh, having been through what they went through, uh, the whole country has to have some level of PTSD, whether it's obvious or not, you know. And knowing that will help me. I mean, I'm just going to go, you know, chop brush and plant things and, you know, whatever, maybe teach a little English, but I'll do it with an educated, compassionate heart, and I think that makes a big difference.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, Let's uh, just skip our break. This is most interesting. So let's just skip our break for now, and we'll go on to the second segment, or third segment. Okay. uh, Unless you need a break. Do you need a break? No, I'm good. No, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Okay. Okay. So if I can travel compassionately, if family health or finances keep me at home, what can i do
2: well you can you can read those same kinds of you know same kinds of works and i re- i i kind of distinguish between just fiction set in exotic places and literary fiction that truly pulls you in i mean there's a lot of workman like you know um, travel fiction that just uses the place as an exotic setting and they the writers don't have the capability to do what, uh, Ratner does and what Tor does and, uh, uh, so, you know, read judiciously. If you don't feel like you're really, if you feel like you're in an afternoon soap opera, just dump it and look, look, keep looking. Uh, you can read that way, but I think also learning about what's going on in these places, like here's, here's a, here's a, a way you can be compassionate as if you were a traveler. Um, If you're in the grocery store and you have a choice between certain products, buy the one that does not contain palm oil, you know? I mean, you're thinking, wait a minute, I I missed that leap, you know? Um, What's going on in Indonesia is they're burning so much of the rainforest that the pall of smoke is drifting up toward Thailand. And the orangutans are losing their habitat and they're they're poisoning elephants so they can grow uh palm palm plantations for palm oil. It's in everything, ha- you know, chapstick and Oreos and whatever. So if I have a choice and I want to think, okay, as if I were there and knowing what these people, never mind the animals, are going through uh in the name of you know cheap cheap oil for foodstuffs, et cetera. Um, I'll just buy the product that does not have palm oil, if you can find one. I mean, there are, you know, that sort of thing. Um, something that gives you that, that sense of compassion is a, is a... I think compassion is built of small choices, and then you get the bigger picture. So, you know, even uh, uh, eating lower on the food chain and all that kind of thing, that that can make a big difference. Um, You can get online and follow, like Elephant Nature Park, it's on Facebook. There are posts every few days of how the elephant is doing now, who arrived so weak she couldn't stand, and we were making the banana balls for her. Um, She's now, thank you very much, wandering around and enjoying her time in the river, for example. You can become a part of that, and with the Internet, you get a community that goes with it. You know, um, you're not just a voyeur. You're you're in it when you're like on that Facebook site and seeing what's going on and sharing comments and and understanding. So, um, you know, where Mark Twain talked about uh, the benefits of travel, he didn't have the internet. <laughs> so we do. Right. So you know, that's uh, uh, you can put yourself there through reading and and judicious use of of internet and. And making small choices like that. Like, don't ever buy anything made of ivory. They're hacking the tusks off mother elephants and leaving the whole herd uh, devastated, you know, uh, to get ivory to make tchotchkes. I mean, you know, now we know that. You know, when I was a kid, my aunt who had traveled widely had quite a few ivory items. And now I understand where they came from. And again, I feel just kind of sick and horrified. But all one can do is take one 's new knowledge and move forward, so you know you can be part of that community even if you can 't leave leave town this month, this year, this decade. Um, you know you become a a a person of wider wider horizons i think
1: so, right so if someone i 've heard about travelers you know they get duped or prayed about uh, prayed upon oh, them yeah. by the locals. So,, yep. as you travel alone, a single woman, mm-hmm. do you have any problem with that? Well, you know, I haven't
2: um yes and no. I mean, I've never been accosted in the street um, i don't I don't stay out at night. I don't go to clubs. I tend to associate as quickly as possible with you know the teachers and the journalists and whoever I can meet that way um even you know you can go find a an animal an animal uh care facility like a humane society somewhere you know i I tend to hang out with those people and connect with uh, families um, so that keeps me out of a lot of trouble. Uh, the other thing is you know trust your gut if you feel like you're being manipulated, you probably are, and the other piece of that is um, really, really. Careful about romantic uh, connections. I mean, there are a lot of, um, you know, especially if you're a, a female with an American passport, there are plenty of people who would love to woo you. And, uh, you know, I've made that mistake. I got out of it fairly quickly, but I'll tell you who else made that mistake. And I thought she was much wiser than I was Maya Angelou. She talks about having been suckered into a relationship where. All that was wanted was, you know, money and uh, and a way to get across the ocean. So, I think it's kind of who you associate with, and being able to differentiate between your true gut feelings about what's going on, and and any kind of you know hormonal storm that may uh, may cloud that for a while. But uh, you know, just just be careful with it, and um, if you stick with the teachers and the journalists and. Uh, and try to find people who are doing a good job. You can go to orphanages, you know, and just have an English language chat session because people who are native English speakers, you know, even if you don't have money to leave with the orphans, uh, you can go talk to them and show them that a woman can travel alone, you know, and that's kind of mind-boggling in certain parts of the world. Um, and you get the native English speaker feature as well, so after-school English classes and, and orphanages are, are a great place to start to uh, find the people who, whose lives you can make different. Uh, the other thing is a lot of people get in the moment in traveling and they'll, they'll say, oh, I'm going to send you this or I'm going to do that to people who are, are local where they're traveling, and then they go home and the glow is gone and they don't do it. If you promise somebody or even say you're going to send them something, um make a promise to yourself that you're going to do it because that that makes a big difference. Um, I met I met the journalist from Albania who I met him when he had a pencil and a little tablet. And he was passing out a newspaper, like a tourist newspaper that was written somewhat in English. And I said, well, where does this come from? What is?" I thought he was just some guy passing out newspapers. Well, no, he was the publisher. And he explained to me that... In the old days, before the uprising in 97, et cetera, before the, you know, the, communi- the, the communist regime uh, really fell, uh, he had an office and computers and all of that. And he said, now I have this, holding up the pencil and this little notebook. He said, I have this and the sun. And I said, well, how do you get the newspapers? Well, he writes it all out in pencil, sends it up on the bus to somebody that does have, you know, some kind of printing capacity. It comes back on the bus a couple of days later. So I thought, we're awash in used laptops, you know, a couple hundred bucks. I said, I'm going to get you a decent computer. You got We've got to start there. My mother was a journalist, and he showed me his international journalist card. And, you know, much to his amazement and surprise, I did send him. You know, I got it over to him. Um, and that, that began his Ability to rebuild, you know, his his career and the role of the journalist in that in that town of Saranda, where my family of choice uh, basically lives. So it can be anything from something a, a book that you mentioned to sending somebody a computer to, um, you know, paying for them to go to college, you know. And you you want to find people who are doing everything they can with what they've got. I mean, there are opportunists and slackers everywhere who will happily take advantage of you. But you'll know the difference. If you'll feel the difference. Guys holding up a pencil, you know, and saying this, you know, all I have now is this in the sun. But he's giving you a newspaper that he wrote. You know, that's a whole different thing from somebody who's hoping from. For a handout from a rich Americano, you know.
1: That's so, true, you know, Bonnie.
2: You've had experiences in South America, which I have not, and, and I'll bet some of that rings true, you know, for you. Is that is that the case?
1: Oh yes, oh yes, it rings true. Um, kind of uh, around the world, I think. If you're not astute to what you're doing.
2: Yeah, yeah. You can get ripped off and and broken hearted and all of those things, but. Um, there's there 's a level where you can tell, like the kid who sold his sheep to ride five hours to take the exam, but his parents said there 's no way you can go to that college. Well, he did, and he had taken every course he could possibly take locally, done everything he could locally, you know, and then I met his teacher who had had kind of a similar life experience um, you know so you know all of the six kids were people who they 're now young adults, I say kids, but uh, who had done everything they could with what they had um, and that that makes a big difference you know they 're not just lazy slackers you know lying downstream waiting for the morsel to arrive they have they have done everything they can uh, up to the point that you you encounter them, and whether it 's an adult journalist or you know a, a would be college student. Um, uh, or a girl in an orphanage who doesn't think that girls can do cool stuff you know <laughs> uh you can give those gifts uh as you go but you you kind of got to you got to assess it as you go as well and i i've been very very lucky i've never been attacked or stolen from or whatever i've had one experience in albania where i thought oh boy first day away from the guide I was walking by near the bus station and some guy looked pretty ratty came up toward me. And I thought, Oh boy, which part of my karate do I remember? <laughs> um, and he, he, he kissed me on both cheeks and gave me his breakfast and he said, welcome because the other tourists, mostly Brits who spend time on Corfu food come over for the day cause they're bored to tears and have no interest in Albania. Um, you know, I was really interested in Albania. I had penetrated the town, kind of. I mean, by just walking there, going there, and he said, "Welcome." You know, uh, that was the only time where I thought I was going to have to punch somebody, and instead, I got a, I got a, a breakfast pie, feta cheese, and uh, something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, the mystery food, right?
2: Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a drive by pieing, you know, and <laughs> he was so excited to have an American there. Um, who actually showed some kind of interest in being there, so right. uh, not just the boutrinti part, so you know, but I mean people do have horror stories, but i, I truly don 't and i 've done most of my traveling by myself. my husband 's gone you know some uh, on a couple of the trips, but I like traveling alone i I think I meet people in a on a different on a different level when i 'm by myself than when i 'm a couple so um I really don't worry much about it. Uh I encourage people to do it. But be careful. You know, don't 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 hitchhike. Don't hang out drunk late at night. I mean, you know. It's it's kind of uh uh you know, it's it's kind of obvious, but then you hear these horror stories of people getting attacked and and that sort of thing. So right. anyway, Will you
1: get to yeah. see uh anchor Wat when you were in Cambodia? I
2: will. I have not been there yet. Um the Elephant Nature Park system has some um you know, they 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 know where it's needed to have these sanctuaries and this one is north of CM which is where Anchor Watt is. And so I will get to see Anchor Wat um, you know, um when i'm when I'm there, and I understand it's you know there are a lot of vendors and hawkers that will distract you from the the amazing beauty of what's going on you know with the antiquities there, but I'm excited to see it i, I truly am uh yes on my bucket list has been have you have you been there haven't you
1: i have not but it's on my bucket list too so okay well
2: uh, i'll I'll go establish a beachhead and we'll uh I'll, I'll cut up the watermelon, and, and you can come feed it to the elephant, and then we'll go see the, uh, we'll go see the temples. How about that?
1: Sounds wonderful to me. It is about <laughs> time to draw our radio show to a close, and I would like to thank you immensely for sharing your time and your knowledge and your compassionate heart with us. Let's take a quick yeah. break. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice
2: America Health & Wellness.
0: Dr. Bonnie Morrow's passion is to make healing available in every home around the world. You can find out more about healing touch classes available wherever you are. Dr. Bonnie is here to share her knowledge and expertise in energy medicine as both a teacher and facilitator. To use Healing Touch for those you love, contact Healing Touch Texas for a class schedule. You can contact Dr. Bonnie via email at HealingTouchTX at AOL.com or visit the website at transformational-healing.org. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. you are listening to transformational healing to reach dr bonnie morrow or her guest today please call in to 1-866-472-5792 that's 1-866-472-5792 you may also send an email to healing tx at aol.com now back to transformational healing
1: Hi, welcome back. This is Dr. Bonnie, and you are listening to Transformational Healing. Today, our, our guest is Mimi Anzel, and she is t- talking about elephants. That's an interesting subject, but Mimi, can't you tell us how the, <coughs> excuse me, ENP started I can. Um,
2: the the uh, the principal who started EMP, her name is Lek, which it's a nickname. She has an, another longer name. It means small. And her last name is Chilart. And she grew up in the hill country where elephants were typically used for uh, timber timbering and all of that kind of thing. And I think part of the story is someone in her family was a shaman of sorts, a healer of sorts, and... Uh, Somebody paid him uh, by giving them a baby elephant, and she really began to understand the, the social and intelligent nature of elephants from that. And she really single-handedly then began building um, the idea of elephant sanctuary so that they are not tortured and tormented and starved and beaten and all of that. Um, and she has gone through a lot um in in so doing she has not necessarily been popular with the uh local uh tourist traps uh they're trekking you know they they have people riding those big pieces of furniture on top of elephant spines which aren't really built for that you know climbing mountains and and all of that and um uh, she, some of her family was involved even in that business later on. My understanding is that she has held, had a gun held to her head. She has had her favorite little elephant poisoned. She has had to go into hiding because of the virulent reaction of those whose livelihoods may depend on that. And she has stuck it out and began building the, the uh, sanctuary herd. And then there are all kinds of uh, other animals that have come to her. And some Europeans, uh, this isn't the first location for Elephant Nature Park, some Europeans with some resources then bought a river valley for it. And that's where Elephant Nature Park is now. As they say, a river runs through it. And um, but that's not where she has stopped. She has uh, really been a crusader for animal welfare laws in Thailand. As her has her uh, her supporter and good friend um, uh, Kununis uh, Shulpa Archer uh, and and others, they have their first animal welfare laws in place. And now she has begun influencing some of these trekking camps. To take the saddle off, remove the chains, make sanctuaries where people can come feed the elephants. They can walk, you know, with and near the elephants that they know are, you know, basically people friendly. There are some who are so PTSD um, that they they really can't be around strangers like that. But there are plenty who who are. And, and uh, starting other sanctuaries, like the one that I'm hoping to go to in Cambodia, and there's another one over near Kachanaburi, which is a, a popular tourist destination. Um, so she has been building and building, and one does pay to go be a volunteer. They put you up, they feed you, and you have these remarkable experiences and make lifelong friends. Um, and it, you know, it's the it's a synergistic uh, bit of work with her and her husband and the people who work there, and um, uh, and then then setting the setting the model, setting the good example for these other camps who are saying, you know what, we can do that and we can still make money and the mahouts can still be employed uh, without without harming and fracturing these these elephant families. And so she has been. Uh, influential in in doing that, there are some national Geographic films uh, about her and her work she 's kind of the Jane Goodall of Elephants on the Asian continent um, the Sheldrick for, uh, fortune and dame Dame Sheldrick in Africa has kind of done the same thing in Africa and that 's kind of a different you know it's it 's similar but but different but she has built it herself at great cost to herself um, her husband is one hundred percent Uh, supportive, Um, what amazed me is his family's from Canada, and apparently his parents sent them some money and said, you guys need a vacation. You know, you're working 24-7, 18 hours a day to make all this happen. And what they said was, you know, thanks, Mom and Dad Thompson in Canada, but we're not going on a cruise. We have made a pact that one of us will always be on site in our sanctuary, and so what they did was they took that money, and they started a school in Burma, and we are not talking desks and computers and stuff. We're talking one of those blue tarps where the kids sit on the floor, and a few monks are teaching them, and I'm kind of hoping to go over there and, and, um, you know, kind of help set up some English, you know, English as an additional language uh, volunteer work is, is my, you know, my my long long term goal is to be part of that but these people you know they gave them nice money to go on a really nice holiday they said mm, no you know we got critters to take care of and and we'll just start a school instead and they put their parents names on the school so you know and burma has been just under the gun you know can't, like cambodia you know Horrible, horrible political situations that the worst we can think of, of of our government makes, you know, um, makes whatever they go through. I mean, look, you know, our our stuff is so trivial compared to what those people have been through. And they they go start a school in in Burma because they've rescued elephants there and they've gotten to be kind of friends with the people who uh, were still using elephants for timbering. Uh, Dislocated hips. Broken legs—all of that is what you'll find at Elephant Nature Park. So, and now they have uh, other programs where you can go into the into the hill country and spend like a week. A friend of mine, whom I met in yoga teacher training, uh, who's a flight attendant, uh, actually went and spent that week uh, in the hills, um, you know, with with local tribes people. Uh, just following elephants around and, you know, feeding them where it was possible and making things better. Um, Lots of programs like that. There's the one-day experience. There's the you can volunteer for quite a while. And not not to forget the dogs. What told me when I arrived that this was the real deal, I mean, you know, makes the hair stand up on my arms and my neck, that this is the real deal. Elephants draw tourist money. There's no question about that. What does not draw tourist money are, you know, 450 rescued dogs. There'd been a big flood in Bangkok and they rented they rented boats. And they, this is like, you know, a six-hour drive to get, maybe 10, maybe more to get there. They went around to these rooftops where animals were stuck on rooftops and rescued all that would be rescued and left food and water for those who were too frightened. And that was their first 150. And now they've got uh, 450, roughly, actually 449, because I have one of them now. He arrived on September the 6th. I met him when I was over there. He has quite a story of being a horribly abused, intentionally abused uh, Bangkok street dog, been rescued by, you know, a lady who had no resources, but lots of heart, got him to a vet, got on a Thai GoFundMe site, said, I can't afford to help this dog, but you know we got to pay for this and that's when uh, the daughter of the former prime minister got wind of it and said hey this dog's going to elephant nature park as as many have been um and it's easy to adopt really um there are plenty of uh, very adoptable dogs not all are of course but that's what told me that these this is the real deal these people walk the talk you know they they aren't just uh, you know playing games with uh, you know we're we're elephant um, you know we're elephant rescuers. Um, they also rescue much less glamorous animals from other situations, and they get all the help that that they they can and that they need. And uh, you know, so that's kind of the story as I know it um, from of Elephant Nature Park, and it it's inspired me. I mean, I was I was kind of at the end of my bucket list, thinking, well, I either need to die or get a new list. Well, oh Elephant Nature Park is my new list. <laughs> um, because of what I saw there. And it's, it's all about, you know, the last puzzle piece of compassion falling into place, you know. Um, so do you have any other questions in that general direction?
1: I do not, and we are running out of time, and it has been a real thrill to have you on the show today. So I would like to thank you and wish you a happy holiday, and we'll talk to you soon. And, Justin, okay. thank you for, for being our good engineer today.
0: Thank you for listening today. Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow is broadcast live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a healthy week.